Well, again, thanks for joining us. If it's your first time joining us or watching with us, I'd invite you just to comment on that feed and say, hey, this is my first time. Uh, excited to, to be uh, speaking to you right now. Let us know if it's your first time here and we'd love to follow up with you this week. Well, there's four types of people in this quarantine that I found, four types. Number one, the, the first kind of person is the person that's still giving hugs. And I'd like to say, I'd like to think the, these are the people that are the conspiracy theorists because they don't believe there's a virus. They think it's maybe just something, some sort of invention by the, the media. And so they could care less. They're not washing their hands. They're, they're still giving hugs. I've ran into some people this week and they're, they're still giving me hugs. And I'm like, what, what are you doing? Like we're, we're in a pandemic right now. Why, why are you giving me hugs? So you got the huggers, you've got the elbow people. When you walk up, maybe you forgot you're going to give a handshake or you're going to pound it and they don't even want to touch your hand. Like they just want to give the elbow, right? And then you've got your, your foot clickers. I've had, I've had people come up to me. They don't want to shake hands. Uh, they're, they're not going to, they're not going to pound it. They're not going to fist it with you. Uh, but they're not going to even elbow with you. They just want you, they just kind of want to hold out their foot and kick a foot and kind of do a, a, a foot click like as, as a greeting. And then you've got people where you walk up to them and this is the fourth kind of person uh, where you walk up to them and, and they're not going to even get close to you. Right. And, and these are what I'm going to call the doomsday people. Like they think it's over the world's ending. And if you touch them, uh, they're going to die. And so they're going to stay away from you. They're not going to hug you. Uh, they're not going to elbow you. They're not going to pound. They're not going to foot. They're not going to do anything. They're, they're staying away and they're just shaking their head saying, Nope, don't even come close to me. You know, I really thought during this quarantine that our family would save some money. Uh, you know, not being able to go out as much, eating at home, all those kinds of things. Like I thought, you know, surely we're going to save some money during this time. But I was wrong about that. What I didn't know is that my kids eat 25 snacks a day. And I guess my tax money uh, has been going towards their snacks at school. And I'm realizing more and more that's a better and better deal each and every day as they eat every last thing that we've got in our house. I thought we were going to save money, but then I open up Amazon and realize that my wife has put 123 things in our cart and she's ready to, to check out. So, so we are definitely not saving money during this time. Well, as we get started today, I want to invite you to open up our app. It's the City Church Lubbock. You can download it in your app store. Follow along with us. The, the verses are going to be there. All the points are going to be there. You can fill in the blank as you go. And, and when you fill in the blank and you get the right answer, it gives you a little green line and you can feel all good about yourself and spiritual and that you did something good today. You got something right today. Kids, you're not in school right now. So if you fill in the blank and you get a right answer, you know, you can just feel like you're back in school because I know that's exactly where you want to be right now. So fill in the blank. And I, let me encourage you, challenge you during our time together to lean in and to not sit back. I know some of you are sitting on your couch right now, or you're in your lazy boy, you got your feet up. Uh, let me challenge you to not sit back, but to lean in and engage and participate by filling in the blanks as we go, by reading the verses with us, by commenting now on our live feed as God speaks to you or shows you something. People are going to be posting prayer requests, respond to their prayer requests with your prayers, but let's engage, let's lean in and let's participate during this time together. Well, we're finishing a series today called Pandemic. 
And here's what the World Health Organization, or WHO, the CDC, have said a pandemic is. A pandemic is the worldwide spread of a new virus that we don't have immunity to. It's the worldwide spread of a new virus. So in other words, it applies to all of us. It affects all of us. And we saw last week in part one, the truth about human life that the coronavirus has exposed, that this pandemic has has exposed. The truth about life that's true for all of us, like not just for some of us, but we talked about how life is shaky. And we realize that when we put our trust in shaky things, it results in fear. And so we said last week, let's put our faith in the things that are unshakable, that will produce faith in us. And so we said the virus, this pandemic is exposing some things about life that's true for all of us that we'd probably rather not think about. So we said that last week. Today, knowing the truth about life for all of us, that life is shaky, that things in this life are shaky. We're going to talk about the unshakable things that we can hold on to in this pandemic to help us respond in faith and not fear. So if you got your Bible or the app, open that up now, go to Revelation chapter one, Revelation chapter one, open the app, scroll down a little bit and you will see the verses there. Now here's what's happening. John, the apostle, is having a vision from Jesus. And a lot of this vision has to do with what's happening in heaven, like right now, and and what's happening in the future. Like when Jesus, the son of God, returns. And so Jesus appears to John and gives him this vision. And in the very beginning of this vision, Revelation chapter one, we hear from Jesus that people are blessed if they will read this and pay attention to this and allow God to change them and to change their hearts as a result of the things that we're going to read and the things that you'll find in the rest of the book of Revelation, that we are blessed when we read this. And so my guess is, is you would love the blessing of God on your life right now. That's just my guess. And some of you that don't believe in God, I'm sure you would say, man, if God exists, if God is real, then I would love his blessing on my life. Well, if you want God to bless your life, then I would challenge you. Let's pay attention. Let's lean in. Let's read these verses together. So in this vision, the beginning of this vision, Revelation chapter one, verse eight, the person, the author of the vision identifies themselves. Revelation one, verse eight, here we go. I am the alpha and the omega says the Lord God. So God is giving this vision to John and, and identifies himself as the one that's giving this vision to John. I am the alpha and the omega says God. So I'm the beginning. That's the alpha, the omega, the end. God says, I'm the beginning and the end. I am the God watch this, who is, who was, and who is to come the almighty. Then again, in Revelation chapter four, in this vision that God, that John rather is having of heaven and what's happening in heaven. Watch what John sees in Revelation four, verse eight, that all of heaven is saying this day and night, all of heaven is saying, never stop saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God almighty. And then read this with me. And you can even say it out loud with me who was and is, and is to come. Did you catch that? 
all of heaven, day and night, and this vision that John has of heaven and what's happening in heaven, and that even right now, all of heaven is saying, never stop saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and is and is to come. What does that mean? What does it mean that God was and is and is to come? Well, here's what I would challenge you with during this time, during this season of struggle, of trial, of suffering, of doubt, questions. Here's my challenge for you. And here's our message to you is that you don't got this. A lot of people, a lot of the world would try to tell you, try to tell me, hey, you got it. Like you're going to make it like you can do it. And we would say, that's not really good news. That's not great news to me because I've seen over and over and over again. I don't got this. Like, I don't know about you, but I see over and over and I, I don't got this. I can't do it. Like I'm not enough in and of myself to make it through this time. And the scripture says the same thing. The world, social media, it sounds cute. It sounds great to say, hey, you're enough. You got this. You can do it. But the scripture says that's not true. It actually says we're, we're not enough and we can't do it on our own. And Paul would say this, that for the Christian, our hope is Christ in us. It's not ourselves. It's not a vaccine. It's not even in washing our hands, our hope in this life and for life after this is Christ. That's what Paul said. Christ in us is the hope of glory. So we put our faith and trust in Christ, the Alpha and the Omega, the God who was and is and is to come. So the foundation of our faith is unshakable. And here's why. Because it's not in a what. The foundation of our faith isn't in a what. It's not in a when something may happen or won't happen. It's in a who. The foundation of our faith is in God. It's in Christ himself. And so when this life is shaky and when everything in this life is shaking, you and I, Christian, can remain unshakable because we have an unshakable faith whose foundation is God himself, the Alpha and the Omega, the God who was and is and is to come. The beginning and the end, the foundation of our unshakable faith is a who. It's not a what. And it's not a when. It's a who. So let's get to know this God, the foundation of our unshakable faith. Revelation says this God is the God who was and is and is to come. So let's talk about that. Let's break this down and get to know this God. First of all, Revelation tells us that this God is the God who was. It's the God who was. And you can fill in the blank as we go now. This is the God who was. And here's what we mean by that is that this God, the God who was, has always existed. This God has always existed. God said, I'm the alpha, I'm the beginning, I'm the God who was, I have always existed. You know what? The universe we now know has not always existed. It had a beginning or what scientists call now 
It must have had a first uncaused cause. We now know the universe is expanding. And so the universe must have had a beginning or what's called a singularity of space and time. And since nothing begins to exist without a cause, there must be a self-existent transcendent cause of the universe, the uncaused first cause. And since we see consciousness, emotion, morality, order, design in the universe and in life itself, then based on the law of cause and effect, we now know that this first uncaused cause must be those things as well. So this first uncaused cause is eternal. It transcends space and time. Since it created space and time or began space and time, it must be unimaginably powerful since again, all matter and energy have come from it. So when anyone talks about this uncaused, self-existent, willful, eternal, personal entity that is the first cause of all things, the label that we generally give to this first cause, uncaused cause is God. And so Christianity, in light of this, is the only worldview that is logically coherent with the foundations and with the beginning of our universe and life itself. And Genesis chapter one says this, that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, there was God. God already was there. God already existed. God is the God who was, who has always existed. John chapter one, John's first book says this, then John one, that in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. Speaking of Jesus, that Jesus, God in the flesh has always existed. In John chapter one, John says, so the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us, that God became flesh. God took on flesh and made his dwelling among us. And that's Jesus, the son of God. So in the beginning was the word Jesus, God, the father, God, the son, God, the Holy spirit have always existed. This is the God who was the God who was secondly has spoken. The God who was has spoken. In other words, God has revealed himself. You see, we couldn't know this God, this first uncaused cause who exists outside of time and space, who's transcendent. We couldn't know this God. We wouldn't be able to know this God unless this God had chosen to reveal himself to us. And God has revealed himself to us. And Second Timothy chapter three, verse 16, Paul says this, all scripture, like everything that's written in this Bible, all 66 books in this Bible, all scripture, Paul says in second Timothy three, verse 16 is God breathed and useful for teaching and rebuking and correcting and training in righteousness so that the servant of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Peter that follower of Jesus who denied Christ, but then after seeing Jesus risen from the grave, began, began to be a preacher of the gospel. Peter, in 2 Peter 1 verse 21, said this, for prophecy, scripture, never had its origin in the human will, but prophets, though human, spoke from God as they were carried along 
by the Holy Spirit. So in God's word, the scripture in the Bible, Peter says this about it, that it did not have its origin in human will or understanding, but prophets, people that, that, that spoke and wrote down this scripture, though humans spoke from God or wrote from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So watch this, the Bible, the scripture, we believe is inspired by God. It is the word of God. And it is the only inspired word of God. We believe the canon of scripture is closed, which means this, while all other books and preachers and people like me and everything uh, hear from God just like you do and, and preach God's word and, and do those things. Only the scripture is inspired. So I could write a book and many other authors and people have written books. They are not inspired. Only God's word in the scripture is inspired. And so if you want to be inspired, you need to read God's word. And it will inspire you as God speaks to you through his word. Jude chapter one, verse three says this. I felt compelled to write and urge you to contend for the faith. Watch this. That was once and for all entrusted to God's holy people. I'm urging you contend for this faith that was once and for all, like once for all time, our faith has been entrusted to God's holy people who wrote the scripture. So our faith once and for all has been encapsulated in God's word. And we are to read it and study it and preach it and contend it and defend it. According to Jude, we are to stay committed to God's word because it contains the once and for all truth from God that we are to read and study so that we can get to know this God, because he's revealed himself to us through his word. So we have no new material to turn to. We continue to read and meditate on and preach God's word. There is no other material that we believe we can teach from. We use God's word because it alone contains the once and for all faith, the truth from God that's been entrusted to us. Now, let me just say a, a word to you as you're watching. Most of you probably regularly attend church or our church or a church. And that's, that's awesome. And, and, and you should, but let me just challenge you because today in our country, a lot of times people will choose a church based on a ministry that they like, maybe that's good for their kids, maybe they, they like the music or not. Rarely do people take the time, rarely do people take the time to figure out what a church believes, to figure out what they preach from. Do they preach from God's word? Or are they committed to preaching from God's word? Do their beliefs line up with what's written in this book? Not another book, but what's written in this book. Bible, those 66 books that we have as the scripture, because this is where the faith for all time that's been entrusted to us is found. 
And so I would challenge you, and even you guys that come here to the city church, find out what your church believes. Is it in line with God's word? Test and make sure that what you're hearing is found in God's word. Acts 17 says the Bereans, these Christians in Berea, were of more, more noble character than others because they searched the scripture to make sure and to find out if what Paul, if what Paul was saying was true. And you should be doing the same thing, examining all books and preachers, man, because we are fallen and broken and I am especially. You should be examining every word I say and every word you read through the filter of scripture because God has spoken. And then in Hebrews chapter one, we learn that not only has God spoken through scripture, but ultimately and finally, God has spoken to us and revealed himself to us through Jesus. In Hebrews chapter one, it says this, in the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in many various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things and through whom also he made the universe, the sun, verse three, Hebrews chapter one is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. So you want to know God, you want to know what God's like, you get to know Jesus. And if you get to know Jesus, you're getting to know God because the writer of Hebrews says, Jesus is the exact representation of God, the radiance of God's glory. And God has ultimately and finally spoken to us through his son, Jesus, who died for us and rose again, proving himself to be God. And so Jesus ultimately and finally through his resurrection proves himself to be God, Lord of all things, and shows us who God is and shows us the way to God, the way to spend eternity in heaven with God. Because Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one goes to the Father except through me. So Jesus shows us the way to God and shows us who God is himself. So Jesus is the ultimate and final revelation and spoken word, if you will, of God himself. So God was. Secondly, this God is the God who is. God identifies himself to John as the God who was and the God who is. When John sees the vision of heaven and what's happening in heaven right now, John, John sees that all of heaven, day and night, never stops saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, the one who was and the one who is. So God is. So who is God? Well, first of all, we learn in the scripture that God is Savior. God is Savior. Listen to these verses from the book of Psalms. All the, the different psalmists, David and others, write about how God is our Savior. Just, li just listen to this and, and, and just let this pour into you. Psalm 18, verse 2. The Lord is my rock, my fortress, and my Savior. My God is my rock in whom I find protection. He is my shield, the power that saves me in my place of safety. Psalm 18, verse 46, the Lord lives. Praise be to my rock. Exalted be God, my savior. Psalm 25, verse five, guide me in your truth and teach me for you are God, my savior. And my hope is in you, my savior all day Long. Psalm 42, verse five. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. 
Psalm 65, verse 5. You answer us with awesome and righteous deeds. God, our Savior, the hope of all the ends of the earth. Psalm 89, 26. He will call out to me. You are my Father, my God, the rock, my Savior. Psalm 106, 21. They forgot God, their Savior, who had done such great things for them in Egypt. Let me challenge you during this time to not forget that God is savior. He is your savior. And maybe you've forgotten that. Maybe you've never realized that before. I want you to know today, I want to remind you today that God is savior. Put your hope in him. Put your hope in a who, not in a what or in a when, put your hope in the God who is the God who is Savior. When we get to the New Testament in Luke chapter 2, verse 11, the angels show up and speak to these shepherds and say this in Luke 2, verse 11. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. And so we learn in the New Testament that this Savior, who is the God who is, this Savior God, has now been. Born, John 1, remember, says the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. So God takes on flesh, the Savior takes on flesh and is born to us. He's the Messiah. He is the Lord. And we would learn that this Savior now has a name, namely Jesus. In Acts chapter 5, verse 31, it says that God exalted him, Jesus. He died and then rose again and then ascended back to heaven and now sits at the right hand of the father in heaven. Acts five, verse 31 says, God exalted him, Jesus, our savior to his own right hand as prince and savior that he might bring Israel to repentance and forgive their sins. So this savior, whose name is Jesus, saves us from our sin and offers forgiveness of sin. You see, the Bible says all have sinned. Every single one of us, we've all fallen short of God's standard to have a relationship with him, to go to heaven when we die. You and I are not right with God. We are lawbreakers in the eyes of God. We've broken his law. And when you break man's law, you pay man's fine. Well, when you break God's law, you pay God's fine. And God's fine for sin is eternity separated from him in a place called hell. Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin is death. You see, what we earn for our sin, the fine for our sin is death. Eternity separated from God in a place called hell. But Romans 5.8 says this, that while we were yet sinners, God displayed his love for us. He showed his love for us in that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. Meaning that even though we were sinning against God, rebellious against God, running from God, God loved us anyways. Even though we were his enemies in our sin, God loved his enemies and showed his love for you and me. He showed it. He displayed it by sending his son, Jesus, to die on the cross to pay your fine for sin. So Jesus is our savior from sin. And the Bible says in Romans 3, when you trust in Jesus' payment of your fine through his death on the cross, your sin is forgiven. Because Jesus' sacrifice on the cross pays your fine, your sin debt that you cannot pay, but that you owe to God. And so listen, 
You cannot be good enough to go to heaven when you die. You can't do better or try harder your way into heaven or into being right with God. You can't. Ephesians 2 says it like this. Salvation's not a reward for the good things that we've done. It's not a reward for the good things that we've done. In other words, good people don't go to heaven. Forgiven people do. And you're forgiven of your sin when you give your life to the Savior. You're saved from your sin when you give your life to the Savior, Jesus. Paul wrote in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 10, but it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior, Christ Jesus, who destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. In other words, Jesus, our savior through his death and resurrection conquers sin and death itself. And so when you give your life to Jesus, you too become a conqueror, an overcomer of sin and death itself. And you receive, Paul says in second Timothy one, verse 10, you receive life in immortality, eternal life. When you give your life to Jesus, our Savior. So the God who is, is Savior. And if you would give your life to Jesus today, you could be forgiven of your sin. And you could know for sure that when you die, you're going to heaven. And if that's you and you want to give your life to Jesus today, jump on our app, fill out our connect form right now, and let us know that you are giving your life to Jesus, that you might be saved of your sin. Today, just like the angel said, today, Today, a savior has been born for you. He is Christ the Lord. Today, you could be saved through Jesus, your savior. So God is savior. Next, God is the God who's here. The God who is, is the God who is here, like right now with you. Jacob, like Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, when he was running from his brother for fear for his life, going to, to find a wife in another land. He takes a rest and falls asleep and has a dream and he has this dream and he sees God. He has this encounter with God. He has this vision of heaven. He has this vision of God. And when Jacob wakes up, Jacob says this, I didn't know God was in this place too. Like, like I thought God was just up in heaven. I didn't know that God was in this place. I didn't know that God was right here with me right now because God is omnipresent. And so he is here right now. He's here with us in this room. He's here with you in your room right now. In Exodus 25 and 29, God gives Moses the directions for building this tabernacle. It would also be called the tent of meeting. And God says, you're going to build this tabernacle, this tent of meeting that would later become the temple. And God says this, this is the place where I will dwell among and be with my people. You're going to build this place, this tabernacle, this temple, this tent of meeting. And it will be the place where my presence dwells so that I can be among and with my people. When Joshua takes over leadership of the nation of Israel from Moses and as they go into the promised land, God promises Joshua, listen, be strong and courageous because I am with you. I'm with you, 
Joshua. I was with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. I was with Moses and in, in his leadership. Joshua, I'm going to be with you. In Psalm 40, 46, it says, when everything is in chaos, when everything is falling apart, when the ground is shaking and when mountains are falling into the sea, know this, the Lord is here, Psalm 46 says. The Lord is here right now with us. And then as we've already said in John chapter one, in Jesus, we find that God takes on flesh and makes his dwelling among us again so that God can be among us and so that God can be with us. And now in the new covenant, we learn that when you give your life to Jesus, God places his spirit inside of you. And so Paul says this to the Corinthians, you are now the temple of the living God that by the Holy Spirit, God now lives inside of you. His presence is inside of you and indwells you so that God is now with you. Every single one of you is a follower of Jesus. God is with you right now. God is here. And so the Lord, in the words of Jacob, the Lord is in this place too. And the Lord himself, through the power of the Holy Spirit, is in your place right now too. He's here with you. And the word picture in the scripture of God being with us is him holding our hands and walking with us side by side. And so I want you to know right now, follower of Jesus, God is with you. His presence is in your place as well. And you may have realized, and you may think like Jacob, wow, I didn't realize... God was in this place too, in this place too. No, today, God is the God who is here. Next, the God who is is the God who is Father. The God who is is the God who is Father. Jesus said, when you pray, you pray to your Father in heaven and you call him Father. Jesus said, our God is a Father who loves to give good gifts to his kids. And so God is a, perfect heavenly father who loves his kids and loves to give good gifts to his kids. But, but that means that you and I as followers of Jesus have a family. If God is our father and we are his kids, that means we have a family. We're the family of God. We are brothers and sisters in Christ. You see, you may not have realized this, but you were created for community. Let me say that again. You were created for community, you are hardwired, designed by your creator, created for community. In the beginning, Genesis chapter one, God says, let us make man in our image. God exists in community himself as the father, the son, and the Holy Spirit. One God eternally existing in three persons, the father, the son, and the Holy Spirit. So God exists in community and he creates us, man and woman, in his image. So you and I are created to be in community as well. In Genesis chapter two, God says this, it's not good for a man to be alone. So isolation is dangerous. Isolation from the family and from your father and his kids is dangerous. It's dangerous. And so even in this time of quarantine. We as a church family, as brothers and sisters in Christ need to do our best to stay 
connected to each other. That may be by phone or text or, or video chats and FaceTimes and, and things like that. If you're in a city group, I challenge you stay connected to your city group during this time to the family of God because we were created for community and isolation is dangerous. And so let me challenge you that even though we're meeting online right now, to stay as personally connected to other followers of Jesus in our church as you possibly can. Stay connected. It's why we must gather together in large groups and small groups whenever possible and as soon as possible. This is fine. This is great for now, but this is not at all a replacement for gathering together. It's why we must gather together back again as soon as possible because this could never be a replacement. And hear me, Christian, church online and podcasting is not a replacement for being together, for being present with the family of God. So the God is father. And that means we are family. Next, God is able. The God who is, is a God who is able. In Daniel chapter three, when Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are challenged to bow down to an idol and worship a false god, their responses for, or be thrown into a fiery furnace to be burned alive, here's their response in Daniel chapter three. King Nebuchadnezzar, we do not need to defend ourselves before you in this matter. If we are thrown into the blazing furnace, the God we serve is able to deliver us from it and he will deliver us from your majesty's hand. But even if he does not, even if God doesn't, like God is able to deliver us and to save us from the fiery furnace. But even if he doesn't, we want you to know your majesty that we will not serve your gods or worship the image of gold you have set up. Faith says, even if, Fear says, what if, well, what if this happens? And what if this doesn't happen? But faith says, bold, courageous faith, trust that their God is able to save them. And ultimately, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they believe that God would ultimately and eternally save them, even if they were to burn alive in that furnace. They believe that their God was able to save them. But here's what they said. Even if God doesn't save us like here and now, like in this life and allows us to pass on right now, even if we will not turn away, we will not worship another God. We will continue to worship the one true God. Faith says, even if my God is able, but even if he doesn't deliver me from this present circumstance, I'm going to still follow him. I'm going to still worship him. Faith says, even if faith says my God is a God who is able next. The God who is, is a God who is working always working. Jesus said this, my father is always working. And so I'm going to join him in what he's already doing. And I want you to know that even during this time, your father, just like Jesus said, is working. You may not see it, just like we sang about it a second ago. You may not see it. You may not feel it right now, but your father, believe this, trust this. Your father is working. Look for where God is working in your life right now. In the words of Henry Blackaby from Experiencing God, we should, we should be looking 
for where God is working and then join him in what God is doing. Not, not doing my own thing and then asking God to, to bless what I'm doing, but looking for where God is moving. Where is God working? Where is God blessing? And then joining God in his work. Jesus said, my father is always working. And so I'm going to join him in what he's already doing. And then last, the God who was and the God who is finally is the God who is to come. I'm the Alpha and the Omega, says the Lord God Almighty, the one who was, the one who is, and the one who is to come. You see, Jesus said that when he left this earth and he went back to heaven to be with the Father, he said, I'm coming back again. I'm going to return. And Jesus said when he returns, that he will judge the nations. And those who have followed him will go into eternal life. Those that have not followed him will be defeated and they will be thrown into the lake of fire where they will burn for eternity. And in Revelation, again, as John has this picture of heaven and what is to come, he sees this picture of this war that's going to take place between Jesus, the Lamb of God, and the forces of evil, Satan, the Antichrist that we learn about in the book of Revelation and all of their followers, all those who've rejected Jesus. There's going to be a war. There's going to be a battle. And Satan and the beast, the Antichrist that we learn about in Revelation, their followers and their followers are, are those that have not followed Jesus. So you may be thinking, I'm just going to go my own way and do my own thing. I'm not going to follow Jesus, which you probably don't realize. And we learn this in Ephesians 2 as well. That when you go your own way and do your own thing, you're actually following your father, the devil. You're following him. You're joining forces with him. And Revelation 17 verse 14 says this, that they, like the devil and the beast and all of their followers, are going to wage war against the lamb. But the lamb will triumph over them because he is the Lord of lords and the king of kings. And with him, with him in this triumph, will be his called, chosen, and faithful followers. So the God who is to come is the God who will win. The God who is to come is the God who will win. There's going to be a battle and there's a battle waging right now for every single one of us and for you and for your soul if you're not a follower of Jesus. There's a battle waging right now. And there's going to ultimately one day be a final battle. We learn in the book of Revelation where Satan and the beast, the Antichrist and their followers will wage war against the lamb, Jesus and his followers. And we learn in Revelation 17 that the lamb will triumph over them and we, his followers, will triumph over them as well. So God will win. In the end, it may not seem like it right now. And sometimes we question that and wonder that in our world and in times like this, but the scripture teaches us God will win. And because God will win, two things lose. First of all, evil loses. Evil is going 
to lose. The justice of God carried out on Satan, who is also referred to as the dragon in the book of Revelation, the beast, who's the Antichrist, their followers, the justice of God that will be poured out and waged against sin itself will ultimately and finally happen one day. God will provide ultimate justice in this world. You may have wondered where that sense, that longing for justice comes from inside your heart. Well, it's because you were created in the image of God and God is just. And so inside every one of us, there is a longing. There is a desire for ultimate justice in this world. That's why some people say, how could there be a God and how could he be good if we see evil in this world? Well, one day the scripture teaches when Jesus returns, one day the lamb will overcome, the lamb will triumph and we, his followers with him. And when he overcomes and wins, there will be ultimate justice. Evil will lose. God is just and will carry out a final justice as evil loses. And so let me just tell you this, that even now we learn in Revelation in the time of tribulation and that it's not worth it to trade temporary suffering or sacrifice for Christ for the wrath of God, for eternal damnation. It's not worth it. Because the lamb is going to triumph. God is going to win. Evil is going to lose. And so it's not worth it. Your rebellion against God is not worth it. Your trust and accumulation of things in this life, it's not worth it. Because they're not going to achieve any kind of victory for you. Evil will lose. And secondly, suffering will lose. God's going to win and suffering is going to lose. Jesus says in the end, if you continue to read the rest of the book of Revelation, Jesus says, Hey, all those things are gone forever. Suffering, sin, sickness, cancer, viruses, tsunamis, tornadoes, earthquakes, all those things that are a result of the brokenness of sin. They're the scar of sin on this fallen planet and on these fallen bodies. All those things are going to be gone forever. And Jesus said, I'm going to make everything new and there's going to be a new earth and there's going to be a new city that's going to come down out of heaven to this new earth. And you and I as followers of Jesus are going to receive new spiritual glorified bodies that are not susceptible the decay and the death that we see to the suffering that we see in this life. So suffering is going to lose. Now you might be sitting there thinking, well, why wait? Jesus, what are you waiting on? Come back now. Put an end to evil now. Put an end to suffering now. Why wait? Well, we learn in the scripture that God is being patient. God is being patient because he doesn't want anyone to perish but all to come to repentance. He wants as many people as possible to be saved of their sin. I bet you're glad Jesus didn't return before you gave your life to Christ. And so God is being patient and we must be patient as well, not wanting anyone to perish, but all to come to repentance. So our God is the God who was, is the God who is, and the God who is to come. So let me challenge you with this kind of big idea that we've had for this series. 
since life is shaky and since everything in this life is shaky, trust in that which is unshakable. This life and everything are shaky. And so trust in that which is unshakable. Pursue that which is unshakable. Cling to, serve, worship that which is unshakable. And your fear, that's the result of trusting in shaky things, will be replaced with faith that comes from trusting in the unshakable things. You see, you can't replace your fear with faith just on your own or in and of yourself or because you choose to. No, no, no. You got to shift the source of your trust. And when you shift that source of trust, where you place your hope, where you place your faith from a what or a when to a who to God himself, when you start to put your faith and trust and your hope in that which is unshakable, God himself, then you will find faith welling up inside of you, springing up in you and coming out of you. You see, Christians don't trust a what and they don't trust a when. Christians trust in a who. God himself, who is unshakable. And I believe what we're seeing right now, what I believe what we're seeing right now is the what's and the wins that we've been trusting in be exposed as the unreliable, shaky idols they've always been. We didn't realize that the what's and the winds were shaky idols, but in this time and seasons like this, we're seeing them being exposed for what they really are. The what's, all the what's and all the winds are shaky idols. Hebrews chapter 10 verse 39 says this, but we followers of Jesus, we do not belong to those who shrink back, who those who are afraid and are destroyed, but to those, here's who we belong to. We belong to those who have faith and are saved. That's who we belong to. We belong to people who have faith and are saved. And we have faith because we place our faith in that which is unshakable. So watch this. Fear says, fear says, what if? Because it's based on a what that can be shaken. But faith says, watch this, we belong to those who are of faith. That's who we are as followers of Jesus. Faith says, even if, just like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, my God is able to save me and to rescue me. And he has, he has rescued me and he has saved me. He's given me eternal life and the forgiveness of sin and his spirit inside of me to be with me right now. God is able, but even if he doesn't rescue me or say, or give me what I want or what I think I need in this moment, but even if faith says, even if, because it's based on a who that is unshakable. Faith says, even if, because it's based on a who that is unshakable. So hear me, even though everything around us in this life is shaking right now, you and I follower of Jesus will remain unshakable because our faith is in an unshakable God. Would you pray with me? God, we thank you for the truth of your word that we can hold on to, for this truth, this unshakable truth that we can hold on to during times like this, during shaky times like this. God, thank you 
And I pray even in this moment, by the power of your Holy Spirit, you would replace our fear with faith, with a faith that says, even if, with a faith in the God who was, the God who is, and who is to come. It's in your name we pray. Amen.